you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here, Move the Sticks, coming to you. This is a little bi-coastal episode of the podcast. I'm in New York City. Bucky is in Los Angeles, uh, the wonders of technology. Buck, how you doing, man? Man, I'm doing okay. How's everything going? Oh, it's nice. Nice and brisk. A little cool. Not too cold, but nice a little breeze outside. Sweatshirt weather. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with what, that. Uh, what do you want to jump into, Buck? we got a lot to get to. We can talk Monday Night Football. We've got some offensive line chat to, to take place. And then, man, I don't know about you, but let's go. You want to go heavy college today? I think we should go heavy college, considering everything that is going on coming out of the championship game, the CFB playoff, then the Heisman Trophy announcement. Yeah, we should talk about college football a lot today. Yeah, we'll get a lot of that in. Let's uh, let's first of all, though, I think we we owe it to that Monday night game to discuss it a little bit. Steelers, Bengals, one of the more physical contests of the year. I mean, it seems like every time these guys get together, um, you just see some unbelievably uh, aggressive and violent collisions. And it looks like the latest reports are that uh, uh, getting some positive news on Ryan Shazier, who was taken off the field, like he had no feeling in his, his lower half. And and the uh, latest reports, I guess, from our Ian Rappaport. It sounds like um, it's not going to be as bad as feared. So that's that is definitely great news. But man, what a physical, physical football game! Now, obviously, you know that uh, division well. You know how it's really a bloodbath when these teams within the division kind of square off. Anytime it's Steelers and Bengals and Steelers and Ravens, um, you can get a marquee game. You can get a lot of hard hitting. And when you look at the Bengals and the Steelers in particular, it is always kind of at the line or a little over the line when it comes to the physicality and the brutality that you see. Um, I think it's unfortunate sometimes that some of that stuff takes away from what really was a pretty good game. Antonio Brown having an awesome game, making big plays, coming up big time and time again. 
Um, I think he's now produced the most receptions and yards in a five-year span of any receiver in NFL history, which is remarkable. Uh, this defense bouncing back, Levy and Bell doing Lev Bell things. So it, it was a really exciting game. It's just unfortunate that it was masked by a couple of crazy hits and plays that have us talking about everything outside of the game and stuff about health and safety when it comes to the players. Yeah, I think – what do you think about this? I, I The college rule, the targeting rule, which has come under such fire and people complain about it and guys getting kicked out of games, I, I don't know if we're going to get that exact same rule, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see an element of that rule make its way to the next level. I, I think it has made an impact at the college level in terms of lowering the strike zone. I don't know what the number of targeting penalties is uh, compared to the year before, but it just seems like when you're watching the game, you see a lot of these college kids giving an effort to try and lower the strike zone a little bit because – like I, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, that was a fantastic block. If he just lowers it, you know, what, six inches, seven inches, and gets him right under the shoulder instead of being up by his head, I mean, it's what you that's what you want to do as a wide receiver. That's a dream to get that peelback block. But I think the strike zone and maybe having a little bit more of a consequence for not staying within that strike zone, we, people complain about it in college, but I'm telling you, I think that's probably going to end up headed to our level as well. Maybe so. I, I Man, I hate the targeting rule in college because <laughs> every time I look at it, I feel like I feel like it's something where they take a player off the field for something that the receiver misses a ball, ducks his head, then the guy hits him yep. helmet, helmet, and they throw him out the game. I do understand the desire to kind of clean up the game from those hits, and obviously everything stems from the top in the NFL. They've been trying to really make a concerted effort to change that. I just believe in certain instances, like football is football, and it's always going to be a violent and squeamish sport at some point. I do believe that players have to get on board and understand um, how to kind of play within the lines. You got to kind of color and paint within the borders. But um, I just think it's difficult to kind of legislate because when I look back at the Juju Smith-Schuster hit, it is because for so long when we've been involved in football, like that is kind of the play that you want, that you desire to be able to peel back on somebody. It's just no longer – it's no longer effective in our game, what we're trying to get away from. So I think they'll continue to look at it, continue to try and make it cleaner. I just don't want to see um, what is happening more the beautiful game. And so whatever we got to do to do that, I'm all for. What about this? What if I tell you we can get, uh, you know, you get two former players and you know, everybody, the replay all goes centralized, right? So if you're in a centralized location on something like that, you have two former players that you put on a little committee and it's simply, Hey, you look at review, they play the game. They understand intent as well as, uh, you know, what happens like in college, like for instance, you talk about a guy going to the ground and then he gets a helmet to helmet collision as the strike zone kind of moves lower. And we complain about guys get kicked out. That doesn't make any sense. If you know football, you know, Hey, there's nothing you can do to prevent that. But if you have two former NFL players in a room in New York, when that, when this a review like this comes in, and they both agree, hey, that was yeah, that was that was that was cheap. You can't you can't do that. He needs to go. He gets you know removed from a game. I think that would have a positive effect on it without totally altering the way the game's played. That's just my take. Uh, no, I think I mean I think definitely having former players in a room to be able to discuss those hits, having a defensive player and an offensive player to be able to discuss it, I think would be best. Uh, sometimes defensive guys can give a different little a different perspective on how difficult it is to hit someone within the target zone. But, yeah, maybe if you have a centralized location where replay, you have that discussion, you're able to kind of give those um, real-time conversations and met out those penalties, maybe that would go a long way to kind of clean up the game. All right, let's uh, let's keep this thing moving here. Offensive line of the week, this is uh, 
something our good buddy Sean O'Hara does every week. He writes on NFL.com. You go to NFL.com slash Ford. You can check out the Build Ford Tough Offensive Line of the Week. My nomination this week, Buck, I'm going to go Dallas Cowboys. Um, I know it's, it's it was the other day. It played on Thursday, but... Alfred Morris, the former Redskin, going up against uh, the Redskins, 127 rushing yards. Tyron Smith was dominant. Uh, I just thought that group kind of took over that football game. They would be my nominee for the offensive line of the week. I mean, I think they certainly are deserving. We saw the Dallas Cowboys finally play like the Dallas Cowboys. They were able to run the ball at will after Morris going over 100 yards. The ability to control the line of scrimmage allowed Dak Prescott to play a complimentary game, which is what he did very, very well. So, yeah, the Dallas Cowboys offensive line finally played like that marquee offensive line that we have been touting for the last couple of years. They deserve to be the offensive line of the week. No question. I think uh, Sean O'Hara, we'll see what he does. Go check out his article, NFL.com slash Ford. You can check out his Built Ford Tough Offensive Line of the Week. All right, the 2018 Pro Bowl vote is open, and fans from across the country have started casting their votes for their favorite NFL stars to compete in this year's Pro Bowl. That's going to be in Orlando this year. Uh, so far, Carson Wentz from the Eagles leads with the most fan votes, followed by Tom Brady and Le'Veon Bell. Who do you think should earn a coveted spot in the Pro Bowl? Cast your vote, NFL.com slash Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl Vote. Every vote counts. Voting will close on December 14th. Don't wait. Vote today. NFL.com slash Pro Bowl vote. Don't say that too fast. You'll mess it up, Buck. I mean, that uh, is tough. That's a tough read no, right there. That's not an easy one. Not But we get through it. We survive and we advance. Uh, let's jump over to college here. Uh, I was thinking maybe we could just do a little uh, a takeaway here. I know we've put down, jot some stuff down here that we were uh, interested in. Kind of big picture. The, the regular season is over. We've got some intriguing bowl matchups. Um, Before we even dive into those guys, I have one question for you. Uh, Did the committee get it right? Do you guys think uh, they got it right with Bama and Ohio State? I think they got the the four best teams. I don't don't necessarily – you know, you can get into whether or not um, you need to win your conference to get into the postseason. I think this will be, if I'm not mistaken, will be Alabama's second chance at winning a a title without winning their division of their conference, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, in the last decade or so, they've done it twice pretty crazy well i mean i think when you look at it um the way alabama had played for most of the year they've been consistent they've been pretty dominant in terms of the way that they were able to hold opponents and even though the sec was down i think when you look at alabama you're buying into the brand name they didn't have any big hiccups whereas when you look at ohio state and really i'm gonna be honest when you look at their quarterback uh you wonder if jt barrett can make enough plays to make them competitive i don't think that committee was able to put away the performance that they saw from Ohio State last year against Clemson. I think that certainly impacted the decision this year. I just think Alabama, Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, or Georgia was probably a more appealing game to seeing Ohio State have to play those guys. So whether they were worthy or not, I do believe Bama is a better team than Ohio State, and I think the committee got it right. And I think that I Iowa think lost too. That Iowa What's loss that? hurt. That Iowa loss hurt. I think if that's a oh, seven-point yeah. loss instead of a 30-point blowout – we might be talking about a different story here. Yeah, yeah maybe no. so. I think. I mean, you can't have a team get blown out by a seven and five Iowa squad. But I think it's all subjective because I know people are taking Alabama to task for their schedule and the lack of opponents. But early in the year, they played Florida State, a team that we thought was going to be a top five team. So uh, you can't knock them. Sometimes the schedule is the schedule. But I think Alabama is a better team uh, based on the eye test and some other things than Ohio State. One thing I do wish, though, and this has been bandied about, people have talked about it. I I do think it's ridiculous that there's not uniformity in terms of the number of conference games that teams play. I think that is an absolute joke. Um, it's not. It's not fair. You have some teams playing nine. You have some teams playing eight. And then when you look at 
uh, also out of conference, and this is this is for every conference in terms of your schedule. I mean, Washington last year, out of conference was ridiculous. It was awful. And then they play one, you know, they play two good teams last year, Stanford and USC. They lose to one of them, and they still get into the playoff. I mean, they were a good football team, but they didn't they didn't beat anybody. Uh, then this year, to me, I, I think you should make a rule. Everybody should play nine conference games, make it uniform across college football, and then you get one game where you can play a team outside the Power Five. If you're a Power Five team, and that could be an FCS team, it could be it could be anybody from a Group of Five team, but you get one of those games. You don't get to play. I mean, Alabama, when you have when you have everybody talked about the Mercer thing, and even Fresno State had a, had a good year this year, but having two games outside the Power Five to go along with only eight conference games, and they don't ever go on the road and play a true road game out of conference. I don't know how long it's been since they've done that. Uh, I mean, they played some some tough opponents in the in the kickoff games, but it's always a neutral site. I just think it's apples to oranges with some of these teams. Ohio State signing up to do a home and home with Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, it's a it's different. It's different when you got to go on the road and play those teams as opposed to playing them in a kickoff classic. I, I just think that they need to find a way to legislate that, just to make it a little bit more equitable, a little more fair. That's my my take on it. Yeah, I mean, I I think there are a couple of different things that they can make it. Uh, they could do to make it more uniform. I don't understand why they can't do what they do at the lower levels and really have a true playoff. I know the bowl system has a lot of money, but in all honesty, how many people are really watching the bowls? Like when, I mean, I don't know. I would think it would be more <laughs> exciting to see um, eventually them mirror the lower level playoffs, maybe eight teams, maybe 16 teams, whatever it is, if you eliminate the bowls, but let's see teams fight it out for the national title. I think that would be the best way. And I know if we just go and think about the Power Five plus three at largest, I think that certainly would satisfy everybody because then you get the conference champions, you get three at large bursts, you get an opportunity to see what teams look like on the field. I would prefer to see them do that. I don't know what the hesitation is, but it is what it is. kind of stuck with the system that we're in. No question. All right, let's, uh, let's jump into some of these takeaways here, Buck. You want me to uh, start us off here? Come on, let's get it going. All right, let's, uh, my first one here. Man, I tell you what, the most challenging evaluation, should he elect to come out? I know people talk about Baker Mayfield. To me, it's actually Lamar Jackson. I think that's going to be the most interesting player that we will discuss if he were to come out in the run-up to the draft because I think you're going to see polarizing opinions, Mm -hmm. unbelievable raw ability. I think he has improved as a pass from what I've seen this year. i got to really dig in and study him if he Mm -hmm. does decide to come out. But I don't know where you are, Buck. I think that's going to be one of the more fascinating storylines to watch this spring. I mean, I think each of those guys that are Heisman Trophy finalists are a bit polarizing when you come to doing the evaluation. Uh, for me, Lamar Jackson is intriguing because you just don't see athletes play the position like that. You don't see a guy that is maybe the best athlete on the field with the ball in his hand on every play. And when you look at what he's been able to do in back-to-back years, back-to-back years as a rusher, he's going over 1,000 yards. He's averaging almost a yard more per carry than he did last year when he won the award. As a passer, he has gone up to 60% completion rate, which is an improvement over last year. So he is a tough evaluation. But I'm struggling with the Baker Mayfield evaluation. And part of the reason I'm struggling with the Baker Mayfield evaluation is because he doesn't necessarily fit the prototypical uh, QB1 that we're looking for in terms of size and the way that he necessarily plays the game. 6'1" generously listed 220 (laughs) pounds I don't know if he's that heavy Um, but he's a guy who from an arm talent perspective when I first looked at him you told me it's better than that 
I gave him kind of B-plus arm talent. Didn't know what the range and the zip and the velocity. The more I study him on tape, I think has improved this year. I think because he's incorporating his legs, the ball comes out with zip. He's one of the best catch-and-fire throwers that I've seen, meaning that his ability to catch it and fire it out to the perimeter on bubble screens, quick throws, um, really simple concepts. He can do that better than anybody I've seen. And ideally, to me, he looks like an ideal fit in what would be a West Coast offense. Um, the trick for me, though, is I don't think he's Russell Wilson as an athlete. I'm not necessarily sold that he's Drew Brees. And trying to find the right comparison, I don't know who to call him. I've called him Tyrod Taylor before. I've seen Case Keenum. Like He's somewhere <laughs> where I feel like you're being disrespectful if you tag him with somebody um, like a Case Keenum or Tyrod Taylor. But I don't think he's in that same category as Russell and Drew Brees based on how those guys look when I watched them coming out. Yeah, the way Case Keenum's played this year, though, I get, I'm feeling like that's less of an insult, the way he's uh, he's been rolling. And I think you look at the way he's built and the way he kind of operates and, and throws the ball, I think Baker's more talented coming out than what Case Keenum was. And Case Keenum's proven to be more than uh, more than a capable NFL starter this year. Oh, I know. You know, here's the thing about the Case Keenum thing, and I think the reason why you would have to have a long explanation as to why Case Keenum would bid but if you remember Case Keenum in Houston, he threw for 14,000 yards during oh, his yeah. career. I mean, he rang up the scoreboard. And I think, and I don't know what you had Baker grade. Did you have a grade on him over the summer? Did you give him a grade? Uh, like, Baker Mayfield, yeah. I put him in like two, like mid two in that, in that range. Okay, that's, a, okay, that's about potential where starter. I had him. So I had him as, as like a, a two, three, a borderline guy. I wrote in my report that he was kind of like Tyrod Taylor in terms of the way that he played and stuff like that. I'm just stuck because – when I think of Drew Brees and Drew Brees coming out of Purdue, he was a top-of-the-second-round guy, which may be like the right comparison because Drew has exceeded that. Maybe Baker can do that. I just don't think he's dynamic as Russell, which really makes it tough for me. And then with Bryce Love, I think the thing about Bryce Love is when you look at Bryce Love um, on the surface, he strikes you as a change of pace back, but when you watch him play, he doesn't play like a change of pace back. Most of his work is done between the tackles. He runs the power, the power pitch, not really heavily involved in the pass game. And so when you think about a player that's 5'10", 196 pounds, what do you project him to do at the next level? Where most running backs at that side of the next level, they have to be those Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, those types need to see him more involved in the pass game. And the only way we'll be able to do that is to see him in workouts. How well does he pass? How well does he catch the ball? How well does he run routes? that will kind of decide where he goes because I don't think a running back that side would necessarily go in the first round. I think somewhere in the second round could be a sweet spot if he elected to come out. Yeah, those are going to be fascinating evaluations, Buck. I want to get to my next one here about, you know, let's go to Sam Darnold, who was everything we were talking about in the offseason and then got off to a little bit of a rough start. And I remember at one point in time saying, hey, let's just let's ease up. He's got some young wide receivers. Let's wait until we get to the end of, end of the year. And then let's uh, then let's look at Sam Darnold and compare him at that point in time to how he played the year before. So let me let me uh, let me do that real quick. Let's pull up the stats from last year to this year. And I won't be a stats guy, but when you look at it, last year, three thousand eighty six passing yards. This year, thirty seven eighty seven. Obviously, played more games this year. Uh, completion percentage was sixty seven last year. It's just under sixty four this year, so a little bit down. Touchdowns to interceptions last year, 31-9. Right now, he's 26-12 to with another game to go. The numbers are not going to end up being much different at all from what we saw from him last year. And if you look at the turnovers and just watch him over the last five, six games, he's really cut the turnovers down, especially the interceptions. 
he's playing at a much better level to the point where I think that wave of thought saying, okay, he has to come back. I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't know that he has to come back. He's got a decision to make. I think it would help him if he came back, no question. But I do think he's gained a little bit of momentum here. And if they could somehow go out and he has a big game against an Ohio State defense littered with NFL players, man, he'd have a heck of a, a, heck of a decision to make back to end up coming back to school after that. I think the Ohio State matchup in the Cotton Bowl is probably the biggest game that Sam Darnold will play for his NFL prospects. And I think the reason why is because there are going to be some scouts that like the scoreboard watch, meaning they will look at his performance against Ohio State and compare it against what Baker Mayfield was able to do against Ohio State. So for Sam Darnold to be the unquestioned number one, he needs to light up that defense um, in a way that kind of makes him look like Baker Mayfield did that night. I think for Sam Darnold, the big thing is you have to know exactly what you're getting, and you have to also have the creativity to put him in an offense that allows him to do what he does very, very well. When I look at USC play, USC is a pure spread team, and I know that sometimes when we see the helmet, we think they're a pro-style team. They are an RPO-driven team, a lot of RPOs. They get the ball out. They play a spread system, a lot of zone run stuff and read option stuff that he does, and he excels at that. He is a guy that I think if you try to put him in a traditional system and make him stay tied to the pocket, I don't think you would get the best Sam Darnold that you can get. I think much like Carson Wentz has been able to play in a hyper-speed spread offense in Philadelphia, I think you have to have the same plan in place to allow Sam Darnold to be what he could be, which could be a very, very good to great quarterback in the National Football League. Yeah, he's going to be uh, a fun one to watch. I think I'm going to try and get out there for that Cotton Bowl so I can see his uh, his performance there against that group of defenders. I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes down. What do you have next, bud? For me, it's, it's still Sam Darnold, but going on the other side because I want to see him play against a defense that was lights out when I was there at the Big Ten Championship game. Namely, that defensive line uh, that Ohio State has is loaded with athletes. And I know that we've talked about what Greg Schiano said about that team being more, that front line being more talented than the group that he had at Tampa, but he may not be wrong. Nick Bosa is really good. And in fact, I will say he is as good as his brother when it comes to his technique and his hands, his ability to dominate up front. Sam Hubbard is an outstanding athlete. Look, I know he was a lacrosse player in high school. You see all of that athleticism on full display when he's coming off the edge. They are able to really create problems. And so seeing Sam Donald square off against those guys, really excited, really excited about what they do. Any other takeaways you had from that uh, Big Ten? Uh, The Big Ten takeaway game, man. The up and down evaluation on JT Barrett, I give him a lot of credit for being able to play six days post-op. I think it's crazy that he even played. It's crazy that Urban Meyer not only played him but had him running as the main feature back on that offense. But I guess when you're Ohio State and you need to win the championship to have an opportunity to go to the playoff I think you do what you have to do I think the big thing for me and JT Barrett he misses too many throws I know I oh, like man, they him. had some dudes naked down the field man they had some dudes naked game. and like DJ if you were sitting there in the stands watching this game Wisconsin played cover zero meaning they played <laughs> man-to-man no free safety in the middle of the field and they basically put it on JT Barrett to make plays in the passing game to beat them he did hit a couple plays he had a deep post early in the game they had an unbalanced empty formation they didn't line up right he got him on that they had a bubble screen to Paris Campbell that went down the boundary but for the most part JT Barrett was missing easy layups against the Wisconsin defense that was overmatched athletically 
That's why I don't think Ohio State could have competed in that Final Four. I just don't think the quarterback play was good enough. Well, that's interesting. I went back and watched that game on tape on my flight uh, yesterday and was doing the center. And, man, I'll tell you what, that, that that kid is a really, really, really good player for Ohio State. Billy Price, I mean, he's I think mm-hmm. he's better than uh, – to me, he reminds me of Nick Mangold when Mangold was coming out. I think he's going to be a stud, multi-year Pro Bowl player. I think he's better than Elfline, who we've seen play well uh, for Minnesota. I thought he was better than Travis Frederick when Frederick came out. Between him and Quentin Nelson at Notre Dame – I mean, those guys just plug them, plug them in and play. They're going to start for 10 years. You're not going to have to worry about them. I don't think they're going to be top 10 picks because the value isn't there at the position. But if you if you need an interior offensive lineman and you're picking in the you know teens or you know, right around that that range probably is where they'll end up going. I don't I don't know where the the real risk is with those guys, man. Just plug them and let them go. No, you can't go wrong if you have a solid guy on the inside. And I think the game is changing a little bit when it comes to the guard. Evaluation. I think we're seeing more guys that are able to play and do some things up front. We're seeing how important it is to be able to protect the quarterback right down the middle because we're seeing these inside pass rushers that can dominate. And no matter what we say about the devaluation of the running game and the running back, you still need to be able to run the ball and run it between the tackles if you have a guard or center that can control the point of attack. It certainly is an advantage for you offensively. All right, I'll get my next one in here real quick. Don't even need to talk about this one very much. But to me, last year when we looked at, um, oh gosh, he played at this university. They used to have a good football program. <laughs> Wasn't they? They were orange uniforms. They have a T on the side of them. I don't know. They, they're oh, not boy. any good anymore. Uh, oh yeah, 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 Tennessee. Yeah, it was Tennessee. Huh. This uh, they had this defensive end from Tennessee named Derek Barnett last year. He's pretty good. Who we, yeah, he's pretty good. We talked about him last year as being kind of that high floor as well as a, as a pretty high ceiling player. So I think this year's version of that, I think Bradley Chubb is a better player than Derek Barnett coming out out of NC State this year. I, man, I hate using that can't miss and safe, but with his combination of effort, strength, power, speed, technique, I mean, he is his floor is extremely high. Ten sacks this year, I think he's going to be a perennial double-digit sack guy at the next level. Uh, I think if you're looking for a, a surefire top ten pick that, that you can plug and play, that guy for me, so far, what I've seen this year of all the guys in the draft, Bradley Chubb would be that guy. Bradley Chubb is awesome. He's a dominant player. He plays the game with a nasty demeanor that you look for, but he's also a really refined pass rusher off the edge. Broke Mario Williams' career record at NC State with sacks. Um, he has a little attitude that you kind of like because he, he brings some feistiness to the table. And every time that I've looked at an NC State game, he has shown up in a major way. When you're looking at these blue-chip prospects, these guys that should go in the top ten, that's what you want to see, a consistent level of dominance week in, week out. Bradley Chubb certainly does that. No question. What do you got next here for us? <laughs> well, you know, in the ACC, there's another pass rusher that I think is intriguing. His name is Harold Landry from Boston College. He is a guy that last year he had 16, 16 and a half sacks, was dominant off the edge. He's a guy that reminded me a little bit of the way Von Miller played at Texas A&M. I mean, he was an outside linebacker, put his hand in the dirt. He can kind of go, can come from a bunch of different angles. This year, he's been limited, had an ankle injury, but I saw that he's showing up to play at the Senior Bowl. Has five sacks, but for a guy like him who has shown that he can be dominant player at time, the Senior Bowl is a perfect opportunity for him to kind of put the star back on his game. I think if he has a dominant performance in the Senior Bowl, the conversation will go back to him being a guy that could be a top 10 talent. No, that's a, that's a, a very, very interesting player. I loved him when I watched him over the summer and just has not been uh, has not been his year this year. So that will be a big opportunity for him, Buck. 
Uh, next one for me, Saquon Barkley, kind of the forgotten man. Remember we talked about him just kind of being a lock for the Heisman Trophy earlier in the season? Yep. Uh, I mean, look, the numbers, he's still got another one to go here. Uh, I believe they play Washington, right? Penn State, Washington in the Fiesta Bowl, which will be a, a great matchup. But here he's sitting here at over 1,100 yards, 16 touchdowns, had 18 rushing touchdowns last year. He, his, his receptions have gone way up, 47 catches this year as opposed to 28 last year. So still a really, really good year for him. Um, had some games where the, the numbers were, were down and some marquee games. Obviously, the Ohio State game, even even though they were right there and, and really should have won that game, kind of gave it away. Only 44 rushing yards. People kind of nicked him on that. And Michigan State came back the next week and only had 63. But overall, from what I've seen, this is still a special, special player. I'd rate him talent-wise above anybody we've had in the draft last year. I'd put him, I'd have a higher grade on him than I had on Ezekiel Elliott. And we've seen what he's done in the league when he's been out on the field. So this is still a player very, very highly thought of, special talent, even though you don't hear much about him anymore. I think this is one situation where you have to look at the film and not necessarily worry about the numbers. I know he didn't have a lot of 100-yard games this year, but when you watch the way that he plays, he is built to play the pro game. He is going to be a better pro than he was as a college player. And the reason I say he would be a better pro is because the way he plays the game is the way running backs are supposed to play the game in the NFL. Run it inside and out, move out, displace, play in the slot, play out wide, catch the ball, run isolation routes against linebackers out of empty formations, return punts, return kicks, find a way to flip the field whenever he touches the ball. Saquon Barkley brings a lot of value, and a very creative offensive coordinator can take a guy like him and build an offense around. So I do agree with your point about him being a better prospect than Ezekiel Elliott because we didn't see Ezekiel Elliott move outside, do things in the slot, do things in the passing game to the level that Saquon Barkley did. And then when you add the return skills, it boosts him up a notch. I think he's a top five talent all day. Yeah, I'm with you. No, no question here, Buck. What uh, what do you got for number Well, nine since you were our, talking about guys – that have kind of fallen off the grid in terms of the national radar but are still blue-chip players. How about two SEC receivers in Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk? When you look at the numbers, these guys didn't necessarily wow us in terms of their production. Calvin Ridley, 55 receptions, almost 900 yards, only three touchdowns. Christian Kirk, 58 receptions, 737 touchdowns. But when you watch them play, you love them. Calvin Ridley is a clean route runner outstanding pace and timing in his routes does a great job of creating separation can get open can make plays has nice run after catchability and then with christian kirk he is the ideal slot receiver slash pump returner that has a tremendous amount of production in the league he can take small passes and turn them into big games he can play and be a viable factor in the kick game he is someone if you already have an established guy he is a nice complimentary playmaker to add I think both of these guys have the potential to be impact players at the next level when they do decide to come out. Although overall, would you agree with me just in terms of the buzz and talking to buddies that uh, the buzz at the receiver position overall uh, a little bit down this year? Yeah, it's down because I still think there's some conversation and debate over who should be the number one guy, whether it's uh, Cortland Sutlin, you talk about these two guys that we mentioned, you talk about James Washington at Oklahoma State. There are a lot of guys that are intriguing, but I don't know if – we have that same level of like, hey, this is a first-round lock that we've had, or this is a top-15 lock player, a guy that's a game-changer at the position. I don't think the buzz exists this year over those pass catchers, but I do believe that there are some guys that can come in and quietly make their impact and make their presence known as first-year players. Uh, I'm with you. It'll be interesting to follow those guys as we go forward. My last takeaway here for me is, is Roquan Smith from Georgia. 
another player who's been outstanding this fall and everything you hear about him seems to check out off the field to, to complement what you see on the field. And I'm just looking forward to him. I, I would love to see Georgia get a chance to get in the championship game. So we can see Roquan Smith twice to see if he can do what we saw last year with Reuben Foster, which was dominate on the big stage and show that you're the best player on the field. I know so much talk about Deshaun Watson and what he did in those games. For my money, the most impressive player on the field in that championship game last year was Reuben Foster running sideline to sideline, and you saw it in the, in the semifinal as well. He, he, I mean, if he didn't have the injury issue, uh, he would have been a top-five pick. Uh, Niners ended up getting a steal w- because of that injury. But I'd like to see if Roquan Smith can maybe even elevate his stock even more by what he does on the big stage these next two ball games. Roquan Smith is a dominant player. Love the way he plays. I love watching him run sideline to sideline. I like the way that he impacts the game. Uh, you're right about Reuben Foster and what Reuben Foster was able to do in those playoff games. Like We were able to see him absolutely obliterate opponents, and it kind of changed the way that you viewed about his potential at the next level. I would love to see him continue to have an opportunity. This game, Georgia versus Oklahoma, will be interesting because we really get a chance to see him in coverage. We will see him match up on these running backs coming out the backfield. It will be a good evaluation for scouts to see what he could be at the next level. Yeah, it's going to be fun. There's going to be a lot of speed in both these games. There's four fast football teams. It's going to be fun to watch. What's your what's your final one here? Well, the the big takeaway for me is Herman Edwards and all of the conversation over the Arizona State football structure. Um, we've been in this thing for a long time, and we obviously understand the way an NFL structure is typically and traditionally done. You have a head coach and a GM that have a relationship. You have a scouting department that handles all the personnel, talent evaluations. Then you have a coaching staff that deals with the development. What is going on at Arizona State has been explained like an NFL front office. You have Herm Edwards acting as the CEO head coach. You have a couple guys acting as the football czars that are responsible for the recruiting and the talent acquisition and development. And then you have a coaching staff playing a role where they can really focus on being coaches. And I know there were some snickers and some questions and concerns about what is going on. But as you and I have talked before we kicked off the podcast, this is a model that has been done over the past decade. And you go back to think about Alabama and what they were able to do under Nick Saban. They basically created a front office structure within a college program that has allowed them to really dominate recruiting, dominate the development of players, and put together a consistently dominant product on the field. That is what all of these universities are trying to copy and model themselves after. Yeah, and I, I tweeted out, look, it's it's not complicated. It's how you build your structure. A lot of teams or a lot of schools are doing this, and Arizona State is not first in line. But I, I kind of agree with how they're structuring it. But to me, it comes down to three things. It comes down to evaluating the right players. It comes down to recruiting the right players and getting them on campus successfully. And then it comes down to developing those players. Now people chime in and say, oh, you got to motivate them and you got to have game day coaching. Look, if you just strip it down, those are the three most important factors. The college game has and will forever be about Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's. You go out and get the most talent you possibly can. That's why Nick Saban, if you can't recruit, you can't coach for him. It's yep. great to have a good position coach who gets you through the right drills and develop. But if you can't get them on campus, it does not matter. That's where it starts. And so... Herm Edwards, I know he's he's got a great personality. His biggest contribution to this program at Arizona State is going to be getting his getting himself out on the road as much as possible, getting on the phone with these kids, visiting these kids, 
and getting them to commit to come on campus at Arizona State because you can sit in a room and you can all identify who the good players are. It doesn't matter if you can't talk them into coming to your university. That's the most important task he has ahead of him. Most important task, he has to get uh, the boat to the dock. He has to get some of these top players to come and want to play for him. I do like the move in terms of what he brings from a character standpoint, how he kind of elevates the program in terms of just what it looks like when he steps into the living room and talks to parents. However, he's ultimately going to be judged by how he gets his team to perform in what I think is a very, very tough league. Um, He's in the South. He has to deal with Arizona. He has to deal with the spread and the Khalil Tate factor. He has to deal with SC and UCLA. UCLA with Chip Kelly running, who knows what kind of offense he may bring. USC with the talented athletes that they have. It is going to be a challenge for Arizona State to make ground. But I think what Arizona State aspires to be and what they could be is let's just be a team that can make a run every two to three years. Let's load it up and then have a secession plan in place for someone to take over for Herm after he kind of settles the boat a little bit. I think that's what he is because at 63, I can't imagine him being a long-term play at Arizona State. Yeah, get Billy Napier, offensive coordinator, keep an eye on him. He's somebody that could eventually uh, be that coach in waiting that we've seen happen a couple times in college football. All right, that was fun, uh, fun college football talk there, Buck. Uh, but those at home, if you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, or even if you have a side gig, let me introduce you to Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. Grasshopper lets you send and receive calls and texts from your new business phone number. That way you can run your business from anywhere and respond to clients quickly with Grasshopper's mobile apps. That's Grasshopper. Sign up today. Go to grasshopper.com slash sticks. That's grasshopper.com slash sticks to get $20 off your first month. One more time, grasshopper.com slash sticks. Well, Buck, man, we got it done. We found a way. Uh, I got my man Rhett Lewis going to step in for me uh, for these video previews. So if you go to nfl.com slash mtsvideo, uh, also go to uh, youtube.com slash nfl for all our Move the Sticks content, you're going to see a much prettier face on there than uh, yours truly. You're going to see Rhett Lewis filling in and uh, stepping up to the plate for us, Buck. Yeah, we got a substitute teacher. And let's see if we can keep the classroom in check. I'll try and be on my best behavior while you're away. No, I need you to play a couple of fractal jokes on him. I need you to step up. I need you to make him very uncomfortable. Uh, hey, that's going to do it for us. We will be back. Actually, gosh, uh, I'm going to be in uh, in New York City, so this will be it for me for this week. I'll be back next week, but, Buck, you'll have a, a little of the video show, which will also be an audio form with Rhett. That'll be out on Thursday. Folks can check that out. And I'm hoping by the time I'm back next week, hey, who knows? University of Tennessee might have a football coach. Hey. No, no, no. I think, I think they're waiting after New Year's. I think they want to give everyone the holidays and want to make sure. Spring practice is overrated. I mean, just get him in the summer. If you can get him in there in summer before two days, that'd be fantastic. I mean, why would Les Miles need spring practice? They're just going to run the power pitch and stuff like that. They're not an offensive team. Oh, Les. Oh, don't do it, Fulmer. Huh? Don't do it. Les, don't get Les. Les Miles and, and T. Martin as a coach in waiting. Oh, boy. What a great model for Tennessee football. Kevin Steele as D.C. That's yeah, that's, pretty, that's, that's everything. That's really, ex- that's really exciting. Oh boy. I'm excited What's to be a ball. What was the name of that movie? It came out when I was younger. Remember Grumpy Old Men? That's what it was. Oh, that, that would be a lot. A lot. A lot of Grumpy sequel. Old Men. Grumpy Old Men. One, 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 one right here included. Grumpy Old oh, Men. Oh, right you're not old. You're not old, Sully. That's true. But Grumpy. All right, boys. Hey, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up. I appreciate everybody listening. I appreciate you downloading. I appreciate you subscribing. Uh, we've got a bunch of new reviews there on iTunes. If you haven't done that, please do us a solid and give us a review on that. We do appreciate that. It helps get the word out. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Anything else I'm missing, Sully, or are we good? I think we're good to go. All right, that's going to do it for us here. Move the Six, presented by the Ford F-Series. We'll catch you next time.
Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.